This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Great to have you along. Libby will be back on Wednesday. She's enjoying a couple of vacation days after Passover celebrations. Well, it's Zoomer Squad time on Fight Back when we discuss issues important to the 45-plus crowd. And in the case of COVID-19 vaccines, younger Zoomers want to make sure their parents are vaccinated and older Zoomers need to make sure they are booking and receiving a first dose of one of the approved vaccines. Let's first of all talk about how things are going with the vaccine rollout. Our weekly update with David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hello, squad. Hi there, Jane. Hi, Jane. David, I'll start with you since uh, I've noticed the last couple of weeks you've given us a weekly update on how booking is going on the Ontario site. Well, I think that the um, uh, it's ramping up uh, quite quickly. I think we've we've been critical of you know the information flow being a little uncertain, but there's no doubt that they're speeding up, and I think they're running ahead of a forecast. My sister was uh, vaccinated at Sunnybrook uh, yesterday, and they told her that. They're going down one tranche younger at a faster rate than they expected. And whether that's because fewer people are signing up or they're just getting it done quicker, but the, the flow is very smooth. Uh, and I think that, that we can see uh, continued increases. The problem's going to still be on the supply side. Well, there is good news and bad news when it comes to booking an appointment. So the good news, as you mentioned, is that the eligibility age has been lowered to 70 in a number of regions, including four of the five areas of the GTA. The bad news, this is in part happening because not enough people 80 and over and 75 and over have booked appointments. Bill, what do you think the solution here is? Well, we're certainly hearing from our CART members that, you know, for those who can book an appointment, who are able to get it, it's going very smoothly. They're very pleased. The problem is the communication is very much confused. People are concerned about getting to the clinics. Uh, we're offering mass clinics, but those aren't always easily available to uh, to uh, older adults who need transportation and a way to get there. Uh, we see that in some parts of the province, they're, they're doing large drive-in uh, clinics, which certainly could be helpful. But for the most part, uh, the older uh, uh, demographic really need more help in, first of all, understanding being communicated with where and when they can do it. Then they need help. Uh, they need help getting there. And there needs to be a clearer plan of how we're going to do that or we're going to miss vaccinating the very uh, part of the uh, at-risk population that we're most concerned about. Well, exactly. Most vulnerable to COVID-19. We are to hear today from Mayor Tory and other city staff on an effort to get the vaccine to immobile older uh, residents of Toronto. We'll also be speaking with uh, an organizer at Michael Guerin Hospital later in the hour about uh, a specialized program for mobile vaccine clinics. Bill, you mentioned there about the need to get more people in the loop about what's happening. Mayor Tory did say this morning there's going to be a big ad campaign provincially and municipally to encourage people to get their vaccines. He also acknowledged that there is vaccine hesitancy, which we knew about from the beginning. Uh, Peter, do you think that this might make a difference if we were seeing more ads about the safeness and efficacy of these vaccines? It, it might make a difference, but but I'm... Uh... I'm of the opinion that there are there are a certain amount of people there who just um, either can't uh, work up the energy to go to one of these max vaccination sites or are, are worried about their underlying conditions and and how it might uh, interact with with the vaccine. And you know, if if the messaging is it has been poor so far, um, 
you know, it's not going to do anything to help correct that. If if they come up with a good message that's that has mass, you know, uh, that spreads to as many people as possible, then then it might make a difference. But but I I think if you're an eighty year old, you you, um, you don't want to go to a, a big site. You're hesitant about getting it because of. Uh, health concerns. Um, I don't I don't know if an ad campaign is going to get to you. Well, I think you're right. Yeah. And we've heard from some of our family doctors here on the show, uh, David, that they, they are waiting to hear from their doctor's offices so that they can go to the person they trust the most to give right. them the vaccine. I think that's true. And I think that also uh, another factor is that you trace it back to the information about the efficacy of the vaccines and the approval. And that may also be causing some delays. I know some people, for example, who had an opportunity to get AstraZeneca at a pharmacy, um, but are waiting to see uh, if the age gets dropped, if the, uh, the eligibility gets dropped younger for Pfizer and Moderna, because there's so much uncertainty about uh, both efficacy and safety. Um, should I hold out for Pfizer? Should I go get AstraZeneca right now? And the communications around this, and it's not entirely the fault of the authorities. I don't think they've made it easier, but I'm not blaming them entirely. But the communication has been so choppy. Uh, what is the efficacy rate? Do you have to wait? Well, now we've got to wait four months for Pfizer number two. Is that playing with people's lives just because they want to stretch the supply? Is AstraZeneca good or not good? Yes, it is. No, it isn't. I think these issues compound the, the uh, you know, depress the volume of response, let's say, uh, to, to the opportunity to get vaccinated. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's confusing at the best of times for those of us who keep track of this information and deliver it in a news format and in a talk show format. Yes. So for the average person yeah. who's casually listening or on social media or watching on TV news, um, you know, it, it will be confusing. Absolutely. And I do want to go down that path uh, about the efficacy of each of the vaccines that's been approved. And by the way, if you're just joining us, uh, I've got the Monday Zoomer squad here, Jane for Libby, along with David Kravitz, Bill Van Gorder, and Peter Muggridge. And you can get in on the conversation as well. Phone lines are open, 416-360-0740, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. Now, you folks were probably listening to Bob's news there at noon. Uh, with uh, with information from Prince Edward Island that they have suspended use of the AstraZeneca vaccine for those between the ages of 18 and 29 who had appointments for shots in pharmacies. Health officials say in a brief statement, the appointments are on hold pending further information expected today from Health Canada and the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. I'll go around the table. Bill, what do you make of that? Well, it's just another indication of the kind of confusing messaging that we're that we're getting, and no wonder uh, people don't know whether they should or whether they they shouldn't. I I note that that story says they're probably going to make a decision later today. It's not like it's going to be a a long haul, but it just it does cause the confusion, and part of it uh, we know is the whole political situation in Europe where we have. A vaccine that's created in in the UK and the the EU and especially the French government are not uh, happy about that. You begin to wonder how much of this is uh, really um, uh, medical uh, re- uh, thinking or whether it's politics that are playing into it. And and over and over, I think we've seen in the in, entire last year that uh, uh, politics has often gotten in the way of science and really confuse people. And somehow we've got to stop that from from happening and let people hear the the real science and get the politics out of the way. Right. Peter, this just seems to be out of the blue, uh, putting on hold the AstraZeneca vaccines and PEI for people between the ages of 18 and 29. Without an explanation. Right. And, um, you know, this whole AstraZeneca rollout has been marred right from the beginning with, um, you know, they they published... uh, Results that were seen to be outdated, um, you know, there was the scare in Europe. There's the fact that the U.S. is shipping their AstraZeneca here. They don't seem to need it there. 
you know, the, the whole the whole AstraZeneca rollout has been, um, you, you know, just the optics of it have, have been very poor. The science communication behind it has been poor. And um, and it's just adding up to skepticism on, on whether there's a problem with the vaccine or not, you know, and, and, and I don't know if there is. No one seems to know. Mm-hmm. And, and we just we just get these little warnings, these, you know, European is putting Europe is putting it on hold. Nova Scotia is putting it on hold. What, what's going on? with AstraZeneca. Right. Well, David, I mean, they just seemed to reassure everybody last week, and now there's new doubt because of this PEI thing. Well, that's true. And if I'm reading, you know, you said the confusing enough for those of us that are watching it like a hawk, and not if I'm just reading it. So if I'm reading a headline, I'm saying PEI put it on hold for younger people. So I, if I was an older person, I might say, well, younger people who are the healthiest, who are the most robust, who are the least likely to have compromised systems, they're not giving it to them. Why do I want it for me? Therefore, I won't go down to my local pharmacy where they are taking appointments for AstraZeneca. I will hold out. Um, in the case, I think, you know, again, anecdotally of one, my sister uh, who got a uh, Pfizer yesterday at Sunnybrook uh, could have had AstraZeneca earlier and did hold out for Pfizer. And I'm not saying weeks and weeks went by. It was a relatively short window. But again, she was dealing with who do I trust? What do I believe? Am I gambling? Should I grab the slot now for AstraZeneca? Can I wait? And if I'm waiting, how long will I wait? And then thank God I got the email from Sunnybrook, so it worked out okay. But there was a lot of tension and stress along the way. And she's mobile and she's uh, computer literate. She's online. She follows this very closely. So imagine somebody who's less engaged trying to make sense out of all of this. It's just not easy. Well, Christine Elliott this morning. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Bill. I was going to say, I, I do have one suggestion for your listeners. And, and as you know, last week, uh, CARP presented a vaccine summit right. where uh, experts from across Canada tried to help us understand better some of the background and issues that both Peter and David were talking about. That's up on our website. People who did not see it last week could just go to carp.ca and it's right there at the, the top of the page. You click on Vaccine Summit, and you can watch uh, experts, uh, doctors, researchers from across Canada trying to explain in the kind of language that you and I can understand some of the issues behind the vaccine. And I, if people are concerned and worried about understanding what's going on, I really urge them to go and look at the replay of the uh, CARP National Vaccine Summit. Some of the answers are there and it's simplified a little more so you and I can understand them. And then on a much simpler scale, for instance, today we have Health Minister Christine Elliott, who is just shy of her 66th birthday. She went to a downtown pharmacy in front of the cameras and got the AstraZeneca shot and, um, you know, told all of us watching and listening that AstraZeneca is just as good as all of the other ones. And in fact, she said all four of the approved vaccines in Canada are safe and effective. And if you have an opportunity to get any one of them, you should jump at it. So I think that kind of messaging, and even Mayor Tory was saying on the weekend, he hasn't gotten his shot yet, but he's registered to get one in a vaccine uh, in a pharmacy because he's in that age group as well. Uh, he plans to do the same thing in a public sort of way. I think it's important that we see these examples um, because then the, there may be less hesitancy. Uh, guys, we've got the Zoomer squad here, David and Bill and Peter, along with Jane for Libby, and we need to get some phone calls in. Let's go to Eli in Toronto. Hi, Eli. You're on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. This morning, uh, between 7.20 and 7.30, um, Dr. Isaac... Bogos was interviewed by CP24 mm-hmm. Breakfast. And they were talking about the delays of the second dose to people over 80. Uh, I took uh, the first dose on March 11 together with my wife. We are both over 80. And to be more specific, we have, in addition to that, some medical conditions. Now he said... He never heard about any study uh, for a delay of 
four months. And regardless of any study, people with certain medical condition should take the second dose as soon as possible. Ah. That was my concern from the beginning. I, I did not know the, that uh, the scientists had enough time to secure a backup for the statement of delay for two months, for four months. Um. Eli, I want you to stick with us uh, past 1230. I will have on epidemiologist Dr. Colin Furness, and I will ask him that specifically. Uh, do any of our Zoomer squad members, none of whom are doctors, does anybody want to weigh in on this? On 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 that? Well, I mean, the four months? The, yeah, the I'm four the months. Caller, the caller is, the caller is quite right. And he is part of the team. Yeah, okay, so just this, hang this, on. This, Eli, just hang on. Let's see who wants okay. to comment on this. Okay. Yeah, the, the caller is, is quite right about the uh, the information not being clear. And I'm glad you're going to be able to ask for current information from the, from the doctor in the, in the second half because the provinces across the country and what we're, what we're seeing are making that space between the first and second anywhere from 21 days to four, four months. There's total uh, uh, inconsistency in what's being done. So no wonder people are confused. Right. Eli, I, I'll get you to hang on and continue listening. And it's interesting, you know, I was mentioning there, um, Peter, about the health minister getting her AstraZeneca shot, and she turned to the pharmacist and said, when will I get my second dose? And the pharmacist said, it could be any time between four and 12 weeks, likely 12 weeks. And that led one of our listeners to write in and say, well, why am I being told 16 weeks uh, and I'm and I'm older and got the different vaccine? I mean, these are some of the answers. Because, that, it, because they don't know, right. they, because the supply is so flaky and they're all guessing. There, I think that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. All get, and the, the problem here as well, and it's a it's a very good example of how the politics gets entangled with the medicine. Um, I've read expert opinion, uh, unimpeachable expert opinion on both sides, on diametrically opposite sides of this question. One is, no, it's twenty one days. You've got to protect the people you gave the first shot to. Another expert said, no. You've got to get it in more arms because even the first shot with a delayed second shot is better than no shot. And the more people that you inject right away, the more you're going to drive down the rates of infection and you're going to just, the, the benefits are going to be phenomenal. They right. citing a research from Israel saying that after the first shot alone, they saw dramatic decreases in the rates of infection. Yes. So which, which one do you believe? And then if you understand that the reason behind the whole dialogue is they're tap dancing the way around the fact that they don't have enough supply. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and so it, because they don't have enough supply or they're not sure, uh, better to get as many people with the first dose as possible and then see how the rollout continues. Yeah, if, you buy that, if you buy that theory, or you could, if you're more cynical, you could say they're trying to concoct a medical justification to reassure people where the truth is that they were so negligent in obtaining the supply compared to other countries that they got to make it come out right somehow, and this is the best way to do it. Peter? Yeah, because the, the, there, is, there is sort of uh, growing uh, data on the first shot that it reduces the um, severity of the infection, and it reduces hospitalizations, it reduces ICU cases, and it reduces death. So the, there is some some gathered evidence right now on on the efficacy of just sticking up one shot and then holding your breath till you get your second one. However, that's not the best way to do it. And the reason they're doing it, as David says, is because there's no supply. So they they have to extend it as much as possible to get it into as many arms as possible. But it's not ideal, as far as I can see. Zoomer Squad, let's go back to the phones. 416-360-0740. Toll-free, 1-866-744-740. Anne, you're calling from York Region. What's your question or comment? Hi, good morning. Um, I was, my question primarily relates to what's happening in York Region. Uh, Dr. Kurji seems to be on his own uh, trip there doing uh, things that... Um, uh, don't uh, line up with what other areas or regions are doing. 
and his uh, as our numbers continue to climb and their positivity rate continues to go up, and his latest uh, seems to be he'd like to skip over the 60 to 69 age group to vaccinate people in the 40 to 59 age group in the so-called hot zones. And um, I, I, I don't know what the real logic in that is. And um, I guess one hope uh, we might have would be the emergency break here in York Region, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's even up for discussion. Um, it would seem that Dr. Kurji would have to have a conversation with Dr. Williams right. for that to happen, and I think that's quite unlikely that they'll have that discussion, which, I mean, you wonder, why do we even have Dr. Williams in the science table if all the decisions are ultimately appear that they're going to be left up to one individual? That's an excellent point. Uh, have you got, have you received your first dose yet? Yes, I have. Oh, you have. Okay. Uh, I have. But, um, which, I, of course, I'm very interested in the, in your conversation regarding, uh, my second appointment has been booked for, uh, 16 weeks. Okay. But, uh, just, a, just one of my biggest concerns, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up so you can carry on. It, right from the beginning, it seems that York Region has always been able to step outside of the general rules for the other areas. And I, I don't know if that's my imagination, if that's really happening, if York Region is privileged in some way. And if that, if that is in fact, True, my observation. Why, why would the Ford government want to give Dr. Kurji so much freedom in our area when so many individuals up here are extremely concerned? about what's happening here right. in the York okay. region. Thank you, Anne. We will uh, have a discussion around your question and comment. Um, York Region has been in the red zone for a few weeks now, which means they're, they're allowed to have indoor dining. They're allowed to have personal care, hair salons, uh, estheticians all opened, um, and with, you know, strict limits inside. But still, uh, that is a concern. But Peter, I think it comes down to the actual number of daily cases. And, and the, um, and the age groups uh, who are um, contracting the the latest variants. So mm-hmm. that that's what Dr. Kurji is trying to. That's his point. I think is that he's saying the younger age groups are being diagnosed with these variants, the UK variant and the Brazil variant, and that that's why he wants to lower the age of um, of vaccination in in that region. So um, I, I know he's he's going to speak to the province about it, but uh, you know that that's his reasoning is that he he's saying that younger people are are more at risk with the variants and and they need to be uh, vaccinated sooner. Okay, we uh, do need to wrap up here in the next couple of minutes. And uh, those of you who are on hold, please stay there because you will, your comments will be relevant throughout the show as we continue talking about COVID-19, the vaccine, case numbers, variants, etc. I'd like to end on a positive note and, and we hope it comes to fruition that 3.3 million doses, combined doses of Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca are to arrive in Canada this week. David, that is good news if they all get here. It's great news, and uh, let's hope it keeps up. They've got uh, formidable targets to meet, and if they are meeting them, and um, it, given the fact that the uh, they do seem to be getting the vaccines into the arms quickly, um, we, may be, we may be getting some real positive momentum. Bill. It is really good news, and hopefully that'll change the fact that currently Canada's 32nd in the country in terms of, of getting people va- vaccinated. Only uh, only uh, 14 out of 100 people have had even their first vaccination, and only 1.8% of the country have had both their uh, vaccinations. Uh, 12% have had the first vaccine, so we're really down on the list with with all kinds of countries that we would expect uh, we could be better than ahead of us on the, the list. So if it is a supply problem, and certainly that's part of it, uh, if the vaccine comes through uh, this week and next week as it's being promised, 
maybe we can have more of our people vaccinated at least with that first dose. Right. Peter, I think the worst that we were at was 55th in the world. And Bill just mentioned there were 32nd. So this would certainly improve our ranking if these doses do come through. Yeah, we're moving up in the rankings. That's great. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'd like to echo something Bill said earlier is, is the CARP uh, vaccine summit was an excellent presentation. And uh, it it, uh, it it's really worth a watch, especially the Q&A at the end where um, Dr. Shirley McNeil, I think her name Shelley is, from Dalhousie, answered some questions that um, all of us have about the vaccine. And it, it's must viewing. So uh, if you get a chance, uh, go to the CARP site and watch it because it's an excellent uh, program. And just to give you a plug as well, Peter, I read some really great articles that you write on everythingzoomer.com. So I know you're on top of it as well. Great. Thanks, Jane. Okay, gentlemen. Um, Libby, we'll talk to you again next Monday. Have a good week. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Bye, everyone. That is our Monday Zoomer squad, David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. It's Jane for Libby, who is back on Wednesday. And coming up next here on Fight Back, breaking down the rising COVID numbers. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is taking a couple of days off. The province's seven-day rolling average of new COVID-19 cases is now over 2,000 for the first time since January. So we have some questions And here to answer them is Dr. Colin Furness, infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information. Dr. Furness, thanks for being with us on Fight Back. My pleasure. Thanks. I just want to get your impression, uh, first of all, this breaking news that Prince Edward Island has suspended use of the AstraZeneca vaccine for those between 18 to 29 who had appointments for shots in pharmacies. We're expecting more information later in the day. But is this is this something to be concerned about? There's a real divided opinion around the around the vaccine, and it's complicated. the The number of blood clotting cases is small compared to the proportion of people who've had the vaccine, but it is can, the pattern is a little bit concerning. Some governments have said we're not going to use it. Some have said we're going to. Trust, public trust, matters a lot. It matters just as much as the vaccine effectiveness. So Prince Edward Island has staked out. Uh, they, they've staked out their position. It's it's not the same as many other places, but I, I think I can understand their reasoning. Okay, in terms of where we're going with AstraZeneca here in this province, it is said to be safe for adults of all ages and is now being given to all adults 60 and above in select and growing doctor's offices and select and growing pharmacies. So in terms of feeling confident about getting that shot, what are your thoughts? What I would say is if it were offered to me right now, I would accept it. I would feel comfortable doing that. The risks posed by COVID are much more severe, absolutely much more severe. Millions and millions of people have already had this vaccine. Every vaccine, if you, if you, if you give it to enough people, you're going to find some adverse reactions, which mm-hmm. may or may not be related to the vaccine. But I would absolutely do that because the alternative, which is the explosive third wave we're experiencing right now, much worse. Dr. Furness, I promised our caller Eli in the last half hour that I would ask him or ask you about the ideal time between dose number one and dose number two. He had the Pfizer vaccine. He has a pre-existing health condition and he's concerned that the wait of 16 weeks might be too long. We don't know, I think is the short answer, and I know that's not a very reassuring answer. During the trials, the, the, it, was a, it was either 21 days or 28 days, I can't remember now which, which one was Pfizer and which one was Moderna, but really measured in, in a small number of weeks. So we know how the vaccine and immune system behaves with that interval. Not very many people think that extending that by a little bit is going to make any appreciable difference. When you start to extend it by a lot more, this is really going off-label. The fact of the matter is we don't know. It could make no difference. 
the vaccine could theoretically become more effective. It could also become much less effective. And we also may find that both happen depending on the age of the person or, or other kinds of variables. The reason why we do vaccine testing is so that we can actually understand that. You really have to test and find out. So when Canada said we're going to go, I think BC said it first, and then the rest of the country followed that we're going to go to four months, that's not evidence-based. It's not science-based. It's uh, really based, I guess, on logistics, the idea that we want to try and get one shot in everyone's arm to get COVID to stop circulating. That's the logic. I understand the logic. I appreciate the logic. I have to tell you, I'm glad it's not my decision to make because it's a pretty big risk. Creating a partly immune population in the hopes that COVID stops circulating because the other possibility, and I'm really talking at a population level now, not, not individuals, the, the other possibility is that COVID finds a way around the vaccines, and that, mm. that's a possibility with a partially immune population. If it were up to me, I would try and shrink that 16-week window a lot, and we may be able to. I mean, the, the, there's a lot of political pressure to get jabs in arms, and that's not the best basis for coming up with a sound vaccination plan. But as more vaccine arrives, I think it gives us maybe a little bit more wiggle room to revise the guidelines. I'd like to see that 16-week uh, gap. I'd like to see that shrink by a lot. So, Dr. Furness, it is possible then if the vaccines really begin rolling in that people could be contacted about their second dose date and it could, in fact, be moved up. That's what I'm hoping for. That is absolutely what I'm hoping for, no question. Let's go to the phones here. There are some questions for you, Dr. Furness. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Cheryl calling from Kingston. Go ahead, Cheryl. Yes, thanks for taking my call. I am a cancer survivor who had cancer of the lymph nodes and no primary site. So I'm still on close follow-up. I have a date for a vaccination April the 3rd, but I'm concerned about the four-month lag time, and I'm wondering, because I'm reading that even cancer patients would not be considered to have the, the regular 21 or 28 days, and I, I'm concerned that... Maybe it's not, you know, the four months is going to maybe, it, it, it won't make a difference or it might make, but I don't know. And I feel like someone is playing Russian roulette with my life at right. this moment. I can see why you feel that way. Dr. Furness, I guess uh, more or less what you've said already, that we just have to wait and see if more vaccine rolls in. Yes, and I would love to place people with underlying conditions, just like our caller, higher on that priority list. One thing to consider is after, uh, you know, two or three or four weeks, asking your doctor for a blood serology test to test your immunity, um, that can be done. That can be tracked. Uh, whether your doctor feels able, willing, or able to do that is a different story, but you, you, you can actually measure your immunity and, and, and keep track of that, and you, you might find that reassuring uh, that that kind of measurement is being done. But it, it, it is, again, I really hope that everyone's time window, especially people with underlying conditions, especially when immune system is concerned, uh, to, to be able to decrease that timeline. Cheryl, is that helpful? Um, well, I think it's a good idea because I would think my oncologist would be happy to do that blood work for me. Right. Okay. And well, that's I'm something you can talk to. I'm wondering any possibility when I go to get the first shot if I kind of whine and moan, they might reconsider <laughs> well, it's worth, a shorter timeline. It's, it's worth a try. That's for sure. All the best to you. Thanks for calling. Okay. Thanks so much. Dr. Furness, uh, Ryan Imgrund is joining us. Uh, he is a biostatistician and COVID-19 consultant. Uh, Ryan, thanks for being with us here on Fight Back. And thanks for having me. Um, I just want to talk to you, uh, as well as Dr. Furness, about the province's seven-day rolling average of new COVID cases. It's now over 2,000 for the first time since January. What do you make of this? Yeah, it's... Not overly surprising. We've had a reproductive rate above one, which is how many secondary infections are caused by one primary infection. It's been above one since about halfway through February. Um, around halfway through February, we, we were seeing around 800 to 900 cases per day. So it's not a surprise that when you have a sustained reproductive rate, you've got sustained growth, you're going to see cases go up. And even right now, we're seeing a reproductive rate considerably above one. And if nothing's done, 
what's going to happen is that we're going to see these cases go up to 3,000 and even 4,000 in no time. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember about three weeks ago that they were talking about, the experts, that a best-case scenario in Ontario for the first week of April would be 2,000 daily cases. A worst-case scenario would be 8,000 daily cases. Yeah, and that's exactly it. So right now we're sitting with a reproductive rate of around 1.1. Basically what this means is that we can expect one month from now, if nothing's done for these cases, to double. So where we're standing right now, if nothing changes, we can expect to see around 5,000 cases by the end of April. So that is still a reality. It, it absolutely still is a reality because we have not been able to get this reproductive rate under one. And I think a lot of that basically comes down to the fact that the variants are like taking over and some of the actions that we were able to take earlier are not going to work as well. We've also loosened the restrictions in the red zones as well. And when you loosen the restrictions in the red zones, it basically gives the, the virus a chance to like pass more easily from one person to the next. And it's already a variant which already passes more easily from one person to the next. What percentage of these 2,000 daily cases are the variants, are made up of the variants? It's above 50% now. Um, and it's in the 60s and 70s in some of the areas which are seeing a lot of cases. So if we look to the like GTA, for instance, um, you know, about 60 to 70% in those areas are actually variant like cases. And in terms of, I'd like to get both of your thoughts uh, on this, the reproduction rate, bringing it down to when we're seeing a decrease in cases. What do we need to do as a group, as a society, uh, Ryan? Yeah, so I think that, well, the last time we've seen the reproductive rate under one was around the start of February. At that time, we had a province-wide lockdown. We also had schools not open as well. Um, we're in a situation now where we've got the uh, like color-coded framework, and we have schools wide open. So we need to be really, really careful. We need to make select choices in order to bring those cases back down. But the last time that it was is when we had schools in the very, very, um, in southern Ontario online, and we did not have this regional framework. So this regional framework um, is not really supported by science, some of these restrictions that are in like play, and that's why we're seeing the virus transmit the way that it is. Dr. Furness, your take on how we can bring down the reproductive rate? Well, they, we, we have a template for that in terms of what we saw in the UK and what we saw in Ireland. Control measures work, but you need to be very strict, very disciplined, far more so than we have been. They did have to close schools. And as a parent, I say it with a heavy heart, but I think that's in our future in April. The, the, it's not just the number of cases we're seeing. It's the shape of the curve, the trajectory. It's very unpleasant. And, and it was spreading, as, as Ryan said, quite rightly, while we, were ha- while we had a stronger lockdown, it was spreading. So the idea that we've gone and taken steps to loosen things up and that we somehow hope that we can get away with this, well, that's just not, that's just not going to happen. Vaccination isn't going to happen fast enough. So we're creating an awful situation. And unfortunately, I think we're going to end up back in a stay-at-home stay-at-home order situation, and the sooner we do it, the sooner we can come out of it. So I guess the only solution uh, as individuals is to take a stay-at-home lockdown mentality and just apply it to ourselves in our own bubble, our own households. Very much so. I mean, one thing we're discovering now in Ontario is when one member of a family gets covid maybe others might. Now with the variant, we're finding that when one family member gets it, everyone gets it. So the idea of limiting household contacts, of limiting any kind of contacts, it becomes even more important. I'm speaking with Dr. Colin Furness, epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information and biostatistician and COVID-19 consultant, Ryan Imgrund. I also want to get your thoughts before I let you both go about um, a story on the front of the globe today suggesting that if COVID-19 surging third wave overwhelms Ontario's hospitals, doctors could soon be forced to use an emergency triage protocol that 
includes an online calculator to help decide who gets life-saving care and who does not. Dr. Furness, we know this existed. We've talked about it in previous months here on Fight Back and on Zoomer Radio News. The fact that we are at the very edge of that happening, how big of a concern is that? It is really concerning. I think it's it's always been the boogeyman, our healthcare system getting overwhelmed, and we've managed to get away with it. We have just amazing frontline healthcare workers, and they have gone far beyond what anyone should be expected to do. But this wave, this wave really is pushing us, uh, I think, over that edge. We're already airlifting serious cases out of the GTA. So healthcare is already overwhelmed in some areas. Our capacity to do that is going to be limited. And I think it's the ultimate failure, ultimate failure, if we haven't taken steps to control this such that people are going to be dying needlessly. And I, I really hope that doesn't happen. Ryan, this could, you know, that kind of information hopefully will scare us into staying home. Well, you certainly hope so, because I think with Easter coming up, what we've always seen um, in the like, past, whenever we have holidays which have gatherings, whether it be Family Day, whether it be Boxing Day, even, even actually Halloween, um, we see the reproductive rates go up. We see the virus transmitted more likely from one person to the next. What this inevitably means is hospitalization weeks down the line. And I think that's one of the worries is that if we start to lock down the province in response to hospitalizations, we're responding too late because we've already had like, transmitted cases that will inevitably like, down the road lead to hospitalization and then in some of those cases also mortalities. I thank you both for your time today. Important information. My pleasure. Thanks. Biostatic. Take it easy. Take it easy, you too. Stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, biostatistician and COVID-19 consultant Ryan Imgrund and Dr. Colin Furness, infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information. If you're hanging on the line, please uh, please just wait a little bit longer. The theme here continues uh, throughout the show in terms of the vaccines and uh, the actual cases of COVID-19. The phone number is to call 41 416- one six three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Coming up next, Jane for Libby taking the vaccine to those who cannot get to the vaccine themselves. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Nice to be with you today. Libby returns on Wednesday. Well, they may be providing one of the best examples of how to smoothly roll out the COVID-19 vaccine. Last week, the City of Toronto, together with East Toronto Health Partners, launched a mass COVID-19 immunization clinic at Thorncliffe Park, Toronto's fourth to be open so far. Two more also open today, making six uh, in total. Now, the location in Thorncliffe Park uh, in East York is strategic because it is within a fast-growing multicultural neighborhood disproportionately impacted by the virus. It's also been part of the effort to get older seniors, the 80-plus group, inoculated. In addition, we're learning mobile vaccine clinics are expected to play a key role in reaching elders who cannot physically get to a clinic. Joining us to discuss all of this, Wolf Klassen, Vice President of Programs support at Michael Guerin Hospital in East York. Congratulations on all of this, Wolf. Thank you very much, Jane. We're hearing good things about the Thorncliffe Park site. You have uh, people who are arriving, getting their vaccine quickly. They're happy customers. A little wait time. Um, what do you attribute this to? I think the team that's on site and the planning that we've done to ensure that we have no lineups We recognize that the population that we're serving um, wouldn't do very well standing in long lineups or standing outside. So when we planned the facility, and it's a very large facility, we have over 68,000 square feet available. So when we planned the facility, we took that into account. Uh, One fellow who uh, left the clinic, he joked and said, the only thing I didn't get in there was a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, it was great. Well, we'll have to add that. You'll have to add it. Um, Now, let's talk about how you're reaching people in that neighborhood because you are dealing with cultural and language barriers as well. 
Yes. So booking for that facility is on the provincial booking system. So uh, everyone is encouraged to use that. As well, we're working with the community organizations that serve Thorncliffe Park, and they're helping us identify seniors who, who might live in the area and may not have access to a computer or may have, have challenges with the English language. So we have a number of ways in order that we can bring people to the vaccination sites. And are you seeing a, a strong turnout uh, in terms of, um, I guess for better ways of phrasing it, a lack of hesitancy, more enthusiasm toward getting the vaccine? Well, we do see the people that are enthusiastic about the vaccine. So I think uh, we've done a fair number of those over 80. Um, when the age group moved down to uh, those over 70, we've seen a number of people as well. When we look ahead into our, our bookings for, for the next week or so, there are still a number of slots available. So I would imagine that the province will be opening up their age band criteria to allow other age groups to come as well. I can imagine that this has been a very welcome site, this Thorncliffe Park uh, mass vaccination clinic. A lot of people who live there in high rises, uh, in many cases, likely don't have cars, certainly don't have the ability to cross town because of uh, work restrictions and all, all sorts of restrictions. So it seems like the placement of this centre is really going to make an impact on, on the number of COVID cases. Absolutely. We know that Thorncliffe Park was disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. And so given that that we had that site, um, it, it's um, where the landowner or the, the leaseholder for the second floor of the uh, former Target department store. So it's again, it's 68,000 square feet. It's very, very large. We recognize that having a mass vaccination site right in the community would remove barriers, not only for seniors, but for everyone living in the community. And it's the same, you just mentioned it as well, but it's the same Ontario.ca book vaccine site yeah. where you get, you put in your postal code and your age and, and it sets you up with this particular clinic. That is correct, yes. And and we've actually modified the clinic because right now we're dealing with those that are over 70. And so we've created a, a sit-and-stay model where people that arrive, they are directed to a chair and then they stay there. We bring the registration to them, we bring the vaccine to them, and then they stay there for the 15-minute observation. Rather than having to go to three separate stations, we recognize that the population of those over 70 would find it much more convenient just to come to, to one seat and then stay there, especially with their winter coats and their boots and right. so on. Wolf, I want to talk to you about the mobile clinics, but I want to get in a question from Michelle in Toronto. Michelle, do we still have you on the line? I know she's been waiting quite a while. Let's go to Michael in Mississauga. Michael, do you have a question or comment? Yes, um, I had a, a question about, um, now I have Ediatus Clivus Crohn's, I've had major surgery, and I've also had uh, pneumonia. Do I qualify health-wise to get an early shot, but I'm only 61? Do I still qualify? Uh, Wolf, I mean, if you're 61, you qualify certainly in terms of the AstraZeneca vaccine at uh, certain doctor's offices and a growing number of pharmacies. Are you aware of that, Michael? Yeah, well, I found that out by accident. I'm not computerized. I passed the pharmacy with a sign about COVID shots. I went in and I can phone this Thursday to make an appointment. Yeah, I think if you call the hotline number, do you have that? No, I don't. Okay, let me give it to you. Do you have a pen and paper? I do. Okay, one 999 Yes. 6488. That is the Ontario hotline number to book a COVID vaccine. So you can ask your question of them and see if you can get in a little bit sooner. Oh, I've already asked the, the pharmacy and I told him all of that. Yeah. And he said um, to call April 1st at the earliest. They're expecting a shipment in. Oh, well, okay. Well, that would be shipment related, but certainly in terms of whether your health condition uh, moves you a little bit further up the line, it's worth calling the hotline number. Oh, I told him that, and he said that uh, uh, call. Yeah. So I, I guess that means, I, I thought that meant yes. Well, but he also said that there were short appointments. So do I want to have a, a spot left open 
where no one's getting a vaccine. Well, I I thank you for that concern as well, Michael. I'm going to let you go because I want to get Wolf's... um information on these mobile clinics. But but certainly, if you have or you do have access to a vaccine, you can cancel another appointment. Also, what they do a lot of times at the pharmacies is if they have extra doses at the end of the day, then they call the people on the waiting list. So at least that's what we've been told. Wolf, about these mobile clinics, very important for people who are immobile. And most of the time, these are older, frail, more frail adults. Yes. Great question. So we're working with our family practice uh, partners in reaching out to people that are homebound. And there's also a strategy that's coming forward uh, through the uh, Ontario Health to reach out to people who are receiving home care and are in their home. We've done a, a number of uh, mobile outreach for, for seniors in uh, seniors' apartment buildings were were able to vaccinate all those who are over seventy in the building, sort of on the same day. Is this uh, Mayor Tory was alluding to it earlier today? There was going to be an announcement about um, more of these mobile clinics. Is yours part and parcel of that? Yes, we are part of, of that process, and and so we're looking after sort of the East York area and also working with uh, partners in Scarborough as well. So if if you have an elderly parent who simply cannot be moved, uh, what is the best course of action? I, uh, presumably you're already dealing with one of these community organizations. Yes, and uh, again, Ontario Health is pulling t- together those that are receiving home care, and they're coming with a strategy uh, that will uh, be able to vaccinate those people right in their homes. Okay, just and one final question here, um, back to the Thorncliff site. In terms of uh, getting a ride to the site, I mean, some people might be living a mile or two away and unable to get that distance without having some sort of transportation. Uh, how, how do you arrange for that? I know the province has arranged for transportation for seniors. I'm I'm not aware of the details in terms of the number to call, but that is available. Okay, yeah, we did hear about it in the budget that uh, uh, Peter Bethlen-Falvey would drive people to their appointments, or at least the province would. But you're right, we do need to hear more information, and hopefully that will come out this week. And when it does... You will hear it first on Zoomer Radio News. Wolf, I thank you for your time. Great work and what you're doing there in East York. Thank you very much, Jane. Wolf Klassen is Vice President of Program Support at Michael Guerin Hospital in East York. It's Jane for Libby. I'll look forward to joining you again tomorrow when the strategy panel joins Fight Back. In the meantime, Bob Comsick and the News is coming up next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.